response to that song and what we've been praying for and what June shared, uh, I would encourage you to consider uh, giving. This week we're taking up a uh, special offering uh, for those who have been impacted by the flooding. Uh, we've been in contact with the city since actually since Sunday night, uh, talking to the mayor's office, the emergency operations center, the police department, and having some conversations about how we as a, as a church could serve uh, our community. And what the response that we received back was, could you hold on? And what they were talking about when they asked for that was the fact that a lot of people have been amazing. Our community has been so amazing in responding to the needs up front. There have been uh, massive numbers of donations that have overflowed donation centers. There's been the people boating and trying to rescue people and helping people with farm animals. There's been incredible service at the uh, evacuee center. There's been great service that happened up front, but one of the problems that sometimes happens when tragedy strikes is that everything happens up front and then when life goes back to normal for most of us and we don't see the need as pressing uh, people get forgotten and those who are left still rebuilding and picking up the pieces need to somehow carry on and are often forgotten and so the community said to us the mayor's office the uh, emergency operations center said would you please as things settle, start up. Would it be at that point that you as a church would step up and, and bring hampers and donations? Would it be at that time that you would come and meet the needs of those people once they return to their homes and start picking up the pieces? And so when they asked that, we said, absolutely, uh, we would love to do that. And so what we would love to do is collect up an offering that will enable us to partner with individuals in the computer community, uh, in other organizations, to just be able to supply things to those in need as they kind of pick up pieces. A lot of stories are going to come out down the road. Many of you already know those stories. And what we actually want to do is not try to find all the problems to solve, but when we come up with needs, when people hear of a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, someone who maybe lost work because of this, someone who's struggling with their livelihood because of the damage, you know, all those kind of stories that come up, that we would have something so we could support you receiving the resources to go help those uh, that you love and know. And so uh, we're going to take that offering at the end of service. You can give in uh, the front entrance at the Connect desk. You just mark your offering flood response. If you're online, you can click one of the tabs. And, and we'll use those funds over the coming month or two to supply those in need. And as you bring up uh, concerns, we're going to be able to help you get the resources you need to serve those people. And that hopefully will be a part of living out what June has challenged us to do, to be the light, to go and, uh, you know, think locally and care for those neighbors who we have. And that leads us to our message today, actually. I think it's always so interesting. Uh, we put together a preaching calendar months in advance, and uh, we plan and, and prepare. And uh, a few months ago, I, I had planned this sermon that was entitled, Help Wanted. 
<laughs> and it's just really a continuation uh, of the story that we've been walking through, the story of the life of Jesus and how he wandered through the world with a very great intentionality. And that intentionality was to bring his kingdom, to help people know him and enter into God's presence and be part of his uh, kingdom for eternity. And, and, and one of the things that strikes me constantly is how Jesus does two things. The first is that he shows compassion on people, and the second is that he invites others to show compassion. And uh, I could not have planned the sermon for today if I wanted to, but it's what came forward, but I think it so perfectly fits with this. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, where we're going to be looking at verses 35 to 38, seeing uh, a call on the life of the church from Jesus. It's this call out of a, a place of compassion for us to, to serve and to take part in what God is doing in our world. So let's read together Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. We read this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know, as, we, as I came to that passage, uh, I kind of blew by that first statement there in verse 35, where it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. But this actually started to strike me as I thought about what this verse was saying and what this passage was all about. It's really easy to go by this and see how maybe Matthew's just sort of fast-forwarding the story. And we talked last week about how sometimes Matthew fast-forwards the story so we get to some of the good stuff. But sometimes in that, he makes inclusions that would have been very impactful to the first people who heard this story. On the surface, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal that Jesus went to all the cities and villages. That is, until we realize how many of them there were. There's an ancient historian who lived just after Jesus, a guy named uh, Josephus. And he's a Jewish historian, and while he wasn't a believer in Jesus, he was quite interested in the life of Jesus and how he went about. And, and he wrote all about the history of the time. And one of the things that he recorded was in the region of Galilee, where Jesus is currently finding himself and traveling city to city, there were actually 204 cities and villages. 204 cities and villages. And the low-end population numbers for the cities that were there was about 15,000 people. And so when Matthew includes that Jesus went to all the cities and all the villages, we realize that if he had visited every, uh, two cities every day, it would have taken him four months to go into communities that numbered about three million in population. 
And so when Jesus goes to the communities and begins to show compassion, when he begins to talk with the different leaders in the synagogues, when he begins to share his good news with the masses, we see that Jesus is pouring himself out. He is laying himself on the line. I mean, just to think of visiting 204 cities at two cities a day, does that not just seem exhausting? I mean, this isn't just a simple stop by. He doesn't just pop into the local market and then sit down at the cafe and enjoy a quick cup of tea. I mean, this guy is traveling. He's meeting with people. He's teaching. He's in in heady theological and philosophical debates. He's meeting with people who are hurting and broken and pouring out their stories of, of how difficult life is. And he's healing them and transforming their lives and telling them how they should go and live. When Jesus comes to these communities, he is really laying himself out on the line. But what strikes me is that as he does that, he does it with compassion. In verse 36, it says, when he saw, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. As he looked at the the hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who he interacted with, we see that he's looked at so many people who were just beat up and hurting, who felt like their life was just wasting away, and he looks at them and he has compassion. He sees them for who they are and what they're missing, and he's moved by that to take action and be a part of their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go into a place that's crowded, my reaction isn't compassion. (laughs) When I go somewhere, when I'm tired, usually the best of me doesn't come out. One of my recurring nightmares is to go to a grocery store and get that cashier. You know the one, the slow one? who takes forever to bring everything through. My nightmare is to end up in that line and no other check stand to be available and have to sit there while buggy after buggy gets processed. In those moments when I stand in line and you could ask my wife or my kids, the best of me does not come out. The compassion side of me does not ring true. In fact, it's everything but. I mean, at Christmas time, and I love Christmas. I love Christmas, but at Christmas time, when I go to the stores to shop, I get edgy. I mean, last year, I remember walking through Seven Oaks, and I was picking up a few last-minute things. I'd already got the main gifts, but wanted to pick up a few other things, and as I walked through Seven Oaks, I was like, what are all these people doing here? Why are they here, right? Not thinking that I'm here doing the same thing. And as I looked at them, I'm thinking things to myself like, who needs that much junk? I mean, like, they're probably in debt up to their eyeballs because they didn't budget for that. Man, they're making poor life choices. Well, why didn't you research that thing before you got in line? Why are you asking the cashier? They don't know anything about it. Do your research before you come and buy something for someone, right? These are the responses that that naturally come out of me. And I'm I'm not really proud to say that, but it's true. When I get into a crowded space, when I get tired, my my natural instinct is to grump, not to show compassion. And when I think about that, and I think about who Jesus is, I am amazingly moved by what he can do and who he is. 
Because I know that it's not anything like what I'm like in those situations. And you know, sometimes it makes me pretty sad because I think if Jesus was with me, he would have a very different interaction. As Jesus looked at people at the crowds when they're gathered in the grocery store, last minute packing their groceries in a panic, I don't think Jesus' response would be like, what is wrong with you? As much as what is wrong and hurting? How can I come alongside you and meet that need? It says that when Jesus looks at people in the crowd, when he looks at people in the midst of of their hurting and helplessness, he looks and sees them as sheep without a shepherd. That language has this connotation of that people are missing someone who would provide for them, who would care for them, who would take them and feed them and protect them from anything that would come to harm. When Jesus looks at people, he has compassion. And this should be no surprise. The fact that Jesus ever even came to earth was an act of great compassion. When the world stood as enemies of God because of our sin, God looked at us, not as enemies, but as people who were lost and hurting and hopeless. He saw not just the physical brutality of our world, not just the horrendous disasters that took place because of brokenness, but he saw the lack of spiritual care and love and life. And so he came to be God with us. And he looks at the crowds of people who walk upon the earth and he says, I love you, I care for you. I'm here for you. Let me heal your hurt and hopelessness. When Jesus goes about his teachings, and we'll see this later when we go through the book of Matthew, he's challenged at one point on what are the greatest things that someone who is trying to serve God should do. One teacher of the law says, what is the greatest commandment? What is the, the one thing that anyone who wants to serve and love God should do? What, 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 what is it, Jesus? And Jesus responds with not one but two things. In Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39, Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first greatest commandment. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' emphasis in this passage and in all of his teaching to me is amazing that out of this place of compassion, he calls us to love him and love others. We see that this is the natural response that Jesus gives in the midst of this traveling from town to town, city to village, seeing all of these people who are hurting and hopeless. He looks at them, he has compassion, but then he turns to his disciples and says, take action. In verse 37 to 38 we read, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The thing that's amazing about, to me about God is that God chooses to include his people in what he's doing. 
he chooses to invite us in to where he's moving, not so much because he needs us, but because he loves us and knows that our lives can be changed by how we interact with others. I'm so thankful for what June shared earlier, the service about being a light and, and these stories of how other people are, are taking part and extending care because it really does show the heart of God and her challenge to us to act locally, to reach out to those in our community in need is one that is very biblical. Jesus invites us to take part in what he's doing and he takes part or he invites us to take part in two ways. One is by calling us to prayer, and the other is by considering if we might be the answer to that prayer. I read someone, something that someone wrote online this week in light of everything that had happened, and they wrote this. They said, the Fraser Valley is such a robust and competent part of Canada. We really don't have a need for others, for God, or for neighbors. But this week, we saw a flicker of God's power, and we acknowledge now that our need is great. We have seen God, and we are not him. We need God. The reality of our community this week and all across our province is that we have seen that there is indeed a harvest of people. There is a load of people in our community across our province who are saying, I am not God, so what am I going to hope in? I now need to rebuild my life that was fragile. What am I going to build it on? What's our response to that? How will we go and live out this call that Jesus places on his disciples? Well, first of all, we should pray. You and I, none of us can reach out to every single person in our community and across our province. It's just not physically possible. But we can pray. We can pray alongside believers all over uh, this church, all over our city, all over our province to ask for God to provide the right people in the right places at the right time to be able to meet those needs. I was so encouraged this week of our sister church, our other fellowship church in the City of Hope. Uh, our, church, our sister church in Hope this week, when the disaster hit, ended up opening up their doors to over 400 people to come in. And what was amazing is that the church began to have problems. <laughs> they ran out of heat. They ran out of food. They, ran, uh, they, they experienced flooding. They, they didn't know what to do. But as they prayed, God brought people to their door. Time and time again, Pastor Jeff told me that uh, people came and they brought food. <laughs> and they brought blankets. And they brought clothes. But not only did they bring those physical items to care for the need, but they got to enter in conversation with many of those people. Pastor Jeff told me that hundreds of people had the gospel shared with them this week because people came, they saw a need, they met it, and then they shared with people the real need that they might have. They came along, they addressed something physical, but then they spoke to something spiritual. Hundreds of people in that community have now heard the gospel because people were willing to respond to the call as God's people prayed. 
This is incredible. And this shouldn't surprise us. It's happened all throughout history. For those in our church right now, our community groups, our ladies study who are studying Acts, you're seeing this. All throughout the book of Acts, we see that when uh, Christians come together and they pray, the mission starts up and sparks and God does incredible things, drawing people into circumstances where they would never normally be. And there, there's catalysts for people coming to faith and encountering Jesus and then being ignited to go out and carry that mission forward. We've seen it in places like America in, in 1857. One of the great things that, uh, of stories that I've ever read about in history is, is a movement of prayer. They call it the Great Prayer Awakening. And what happened was in September 1857, this businessman in New York said, I think we need to pray. And so he invited a handful of people who he knew to come to his office to pray over lunchtime. And that first day that he went to pray, he sat by himself for the first half hour. But as people saw that he was there praying, others came in. And over the course of a half an hour, six other people joined with this man in prayer. Fast forward uh, by a week, and now 40 people were coming and gathering and praying together at lunchtime. Soon they stopped praying just once a week and they started praying daily. And within six months, over 6,000 people in the city of New York got together to pray every day at lunchtime. They prayed over 150 different places across their city. And you know what happened as they prayed? People came to saving faith in Jesus. Never once was a single message preached never once was a single need met by bringing in donations and sharing but in the midst of a prayer movement over one year as people prayed 100,000 people came to saving faith in Jesus why did they come to faith in Jesus because they saw people pray they saw people take seriously what God had invited them to do. And in the midst of those moments, God saved people to himself. And from those people he saved, he raised up an army of people who would go out across the state of New York, eventually through the whole eastern seaboard of the U.S., and they brought more and more people in. Because the people were already there, but no one had yet prayed. But when the people prayed, God brought in his harvest. I believe this is something that could take place in our city and across our province. I believe that people are ripe to hear. People need answers. People have questions. People need something to hope in. And if the people of God would get together and pray and follow what he commands us to do, I believe that we would see an answer to those prayers. We, I believe that we would see God move people into relationship with him and so we need to pray the second thing i think we need to do and while it's not explicit here i think is implicit is ask the question of ourselves am i that answer to prayer am i willing to go am i willing to set aside my busyness or perhaps set aside my, my, my lack of courage to go and, and share faith in difficult conversations? Am I willing to set that aside to go and serve? You know, every single one of us 
who has a faith who's here in this room is here because someone else took up that call. Whether it's a parent or a pastor or a camp counselor or a co-worker or somebody on the side of the street, every single one of us has had a seed planted, has been watered and allowed God to work through different people. None of us are a byproduct of coming to faith on our own. We're here because others have come, because other people have answered the call. My question is, are we willing to keep that going? Are we willing to continue to extend that chain of things moving on forward and forward as God's kingdom continues to build? God doesn't need us, but he invites us in to be a part of it. Now, if you sit here and you think perhaps that might be something but, maybe, but I don't have the answer to why is God allowing the flooding to happen and the suffering to happen? Why does God allow the pain? I don't want to go because I'm not sure how my neighbor might interact with this. So I would encourage you not to think so highly of yourself. God doesn't need you to answer all the questions. God will answer the questions through you. God doesn't need you to provide everything to meet one person's need. God can provide for the sparrows and the trees, for the lilies of the valley. He can provide for every person he cares for. But what he does ask is that you will go. God builds his church. He extends his kingdom. It's not about you and I needing to do it and have it all right. Because God will accomplish it. When Jesus said this, to pray to ask for laborers to be built, he was only speaking to 12 people. And from those 12 people who took it seriously, we see that the movement of God's kingdom has expanded greatly through time and space. We see that that movement of this new little faith group in the ancient Middle Eastern culture has expanded around the world. We've seen that hundreds of thousands, millions of people have answered this call, and because of that, millions more have come to a saving faith in Jesus. God doesn't just do it with one person. He doesn't just need one answer. He doesn't just need a miracle cure, because he is that himself. My question for us, church, today, in light of everything that's going on, in light of our awareness of the great need of our community is how will we respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word here today. We thank you for uh, the challenge that it is to, to follow you and to take this seriously. But God, I just pray that we would be convicted today of how great you are and of your wisdom and that we would lean into that. And Lord, that we would be people who would pray God, would every single one of us pray because you answer prayers? Would every single one of us consider the call to be an answer to prayer? And Lord God, through that, would you move mightily in our city and across our province? Lord, we know that the harvest is there, that there are so many people dying to know you, that there are so many people just wondering and questioning, calling out for something to answer their need. Lord God, would we go and bring the answer? Would we go and, and bring the message of who you are to our community? Lord God, as we go, would you answer prayers mightily? Would we see our church come alive with people coming to faith? 
Would we see our church grow, not out of just Christians moving from church to church, but new believers coming in and having a hunger for prayer and having a hunger to share who you are with others? And Lord God, would we see you get all the glory because of it? Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your challenge. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to do two last things today, and one of them is to take part in communion. Every month we, we, we take communion together, which is just simply taking the elements of the bread and the cup, which symbolize the, the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And, and, and we often use it to celebrate who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Or, or sometimes we also use it to, to sort of mourn and grieve sin in the world and to draw us into a place of repentance, but today I want us to take communion in light of what is going on. I want us to take communion as a great reminder of the God who identifies with us. One of the things that we call God, and we will call him a lot and reference a lot as we go forward in the coming weeks towards Christmas, is that Jesus is Emmanuel. Our church name's Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sometimes in the midst of tragedy and not knowing how to answer, we, we sit there and go, where is God? And we don't, we, we don't necessarily know how to, how to relate with him. Sometimes I think it's so distant and we, and we forget in the midst of tragedy that God understands suffering. God understands suffering so very well. Scripture tells us that his heart breaks for the state of our broken world. And it was breaking to such a great de degree that he came in human form to sacrifice himself for us. And so on a cross, Jesus died, and they say that the cross is one of the most excruciating forms of torture that has ever been created. And there he died, his body broken, his blood shed, not just so he could save us, yes, for that, but also so that we would know that we have a God who identifies with us, who has been there with us, who wants to walk through everything with us and can address every hurt and pain that we can experience. As we take this communion today, we know that not only is our God moved by compassion, but that he understands exactly what we're going through. And so let's open our elements and take part today as we reflect on what Scripture has to say about the night that Jesus first enacted communion. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, For what I received from the Lord I deliver to you, that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant, which means it's the new promise of who I am with you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Dear Lord, we thank you once again for who you are, for the great work that you have done. We thank you for your sacrifice on a cross. 
God, we thank you that you aren't just a God who sits up in heaven and looks down and, and watches us toil, but God, that you came down here and you got in the muck and the hurt, and Lord God, that you experienced great suffering far beyond what we have experienced individually. And Lord God, we thank you that you did that so that you really truly could live up to being God with us. We thank you that you identify with us. We thank you that you know us. We thank you that you know how to meet our every need and that you met our most important needs spiritually on the cross. God, we thank you that you died for our sin. We thank you that we can have life with you. We thank you that in the midst of darkness, there is light, that there is hope, that there is a future in your presence for eternity. God, we look forward to the day when you will fulfill that promise, when there will be no more sickness, when there will be no more sadness, no more suffering no more hurt in the world god we look forward to embracing that day but until then lord would we live obediently to your call would we go and would we bring you praise we pray this all by the power of your spirit in jesus name amen